blessings to you in the name of Jesus Christ. This is Pastors for Pastors, the podcast that supports and celebrates pastors. I'm your host, Ken Broman Folks. The conversation you are about to hear is, I believe, one of the most important we have had on this podcast because it's about one of the most prevalent and difficult issues folks face in every one of our congregations but also one of the most ignored by our congregations. I'm talking about addiction. Dr. Ed Treat is my guest. Ed is a Lutheran pastor and the director of the Center of Addiction and Faith. You're gonna hear the moving story of his journey from addiction to recovery. And one of the saddest parts of his story is how little support he received from the churches pastors, and even seminary he attended. Ed has some very convicting words about the lack of understanding and pastoral care most pastors and churches exhibit toward those struggling with addiction, including the families. But he also has some words of hope about how we can begin to include these hurting people in our circles of care and prayer. One programming note before we welcome Ed With this episode, we begin having audience members who are present for the recording of our conversations and who from time to time will offer questions and comments. Although we won't see or hear them in this episode, we will begin to do so in upcoming episodes. And if you would like to be an audience member for future episodes, let me know by emailing me at pastorsforpastors2020 at gmail.com. That's pastors, the number four, pastors2020 at gmail.com. And now let's join the conversation with Dr. Ed Treat. Ed, I do appreciate you being with us this afternoon and uh, taking your time to uh, talk with me about uh, the Center uh, of Addiction and Faith and the whole topic of uh, addiction and the ministry of our congregations. Tell me a little bit about yourself and the the center and what you do and how it got started. Just give us a, a little bit of the story. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad to do that. I love telling the story because it's kind of a, it's a, it's kind of God's story. <laughs> you know, as God uh, is involved in every life, but uh, I have to kind of give you the background of my life to kind of, it, it sort of informs everything I'm doing. And that is, I was uh, raised in a very chaotic home. Um, what appeared from the outside to be a normal home, but we were we were nine kids and uh, my dad was military and uh, we looked good on the outside, but uh, really inside our home, it was pretty chaotic and a very um, unsafe environment. I mean, we had a my dad was, uh, my parents didn't drink, but my father was from a very broken home and he had a lot of unresolved issues and, and uh, he acted out of those and those impacted the whole family. And so uh, there was just a lot of, um, a lot of abuse that didn't, didn't, you didn't know was abuse when it was happening. But, um, you know, after growing up and going through recovery, I look back and evaluate my life and realize, oh my gosh, that wasn't healthy at all. In fact, I recently did the ACEs uh, test, the um, uh, adverse childhood experiences. Uh, you, Ten questions you get, and uh, four or more means you're you're you've had significant trauma in your life. And I score a seven on that uh, scale out of ten. Oh so uh, that explains a lot to me about the path my life uh, took. 
So um, because I grew up in that environment, because I lived with that kind of constant fear and didn't know that it's what I was living with, uh, but I had this very uh, fragile emotional interior going on. And so when I used drugs for the first time, when I drank for the first time, I experienced peace and, I, and freedom from all that inner uh, mm-hmm. you know, fear and anxiety, right? So I didn't make a conscious decision to drink and use drugs, but I just knew that they they worked for me. Uh, they fixed me on the inside like nothing had ever done before. So it's, and I hear that story a lot from people uh, who are users. In fact, I'm convinced after all these years that most people who uh, get caught in addiction, I think everybody gets caught to some degree in addiction, but those who uh, get, get addiction, severe addiction, Almost always underneath that, there's unresolved trauma and pain, and that most people's addiction has to do with uh, trying to resolve inner pain. Uh, that's why we we get addicted because we you know we're trying to fix something on the inside. And so, uh, so I was uh, I was that kid that was uh, at the, all the parties and and uh, looking for fun and and uh, trying to find it wherever I could and. Um, graduated high school and, and went off like the prodigal son and spent most of my uh, young adulthood um, chasing fun, trying to pursue the, really just trying to pursue the high, but really having uh, no direction and really did end up like the prodigal son, um, kind of at the bottom and saying, I need to do something. And so that's what started my recovery process. And so at age 27, I went through treatment and started uh, the recovery process and started getting my life back and learning about all this uh, stuff on the inside that I have, uh, uh, that I have, that I carry with me, even to this day, to some degree, you know, still dealing with some of that stuff. Um, and uh, so we started the process and, and along the way, about five years into recovery, I'd gone back to school and gotten a degree in journalism. And, and I happened to uh, stumble into a Lutheran organization in the Cascade Mountains called Holden Village. And I didn't know much about Lutherans. And, uh, and they were, uh, the weekend that I happened to stumble into that very remote place was a weekend that they were doing a 12 step workshop. And I was like, wow, here's a church. And, and, uh, and they're talking about me. And so that was significant, incredibly significant for me. I think it's a lesson for the church because throughout the years of my using and struggle, I would hit bottom over and over again. And one of the places I often thought to go to for help was the church. And I would go there thinking, I got to get right with God, right? So I would go to church and I would walk away feeling like there's nothing there for me. You know, nothing there connected to me. The people felt like they were different than I was. It it was just, I I knew that's where I needed my help, but there was no help for me. So um, there was nothing there. And and in recovery, after I started my path recovery, uh, and this has been true of many people in recovery that I've known over the years is that along the way in recovery through 12-step groups, uh, they start to itch for something more uh, spiritually. And many of them will, will go church shopping and, uh, and have the same experience I did, even in recovery, going to church and going, well, there's really nothing there for me. I mean, the church just doesn't speak the same language. And uh, in my recovery process of trying to get back to church and go to 12-step meetings, there were many times that I just felt like, gosh, I think if Jesus were alive today, he'd be more likely in those 12-step meetings than he would be in the church because I experienced uh, the things of Jesus more there than anywhere else. I mean, these were places where people were being welcomed and healed and the diversity was there and people from every walk of life and everybody was just there to love and help each other, which was, you know, it's a pretty unique community, pretty amazing. Um, my first exposure to 12-step group was, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I, I know that 
our religion and our faith can actually become part of the problem. Because I went to my first AA meeting and I remember thinking, I know there's something wrong with my life. I know I need to get something fixed, but um, I don't need this because I have God. You know, it's the old uh, story of the guy that's on the roof and the waters are coming up and he's waiting. A helicopter comes and a boat comes and he says, no, God's going to save me. Right. So uh, that's what I was. I was like, I I wanted to be saved, but I wanted to be saved on my terms and not God's terms. And so so I I, uh, ended up in 12 step meetings. I finally gave up on the church. I said, you know, I'm going to make these 12 step meetings my church. And that's when I stumbled into that Lutheran camp. They were talking about the 12 step program. And, um, and so I fell in love with the Lutheran church and decided to go to seminary, thinking the seminary was a lot like that community I walked into. But it turned out after I got to seminary, about three months in the seminary, I thought, oh, my gosh, this church is just like every other one. They have no concept of this stuff. Um, and uh, I, was, I was really disheartened. And I was like, what, you, know, what, you know, God, why did you leave me here of all places? This is not where I belong. These are not my people. And uh, right when I was going through that struggle, I heard about some pastors getting together in Chicago, and they were uh, meeting around the topic of alcoholism. And I thought, oh, I got to go there. So I drove to Chicago, and here were these pastors. They were, uh, this was a joint effort between the Lutheran Church, uh, ELCA, and the Missouri Synod, which back then was possible. It's not today, but. um, And I walked in, and they were having a 12 step meeting, and they were all telling their stories. And I was just like, oh my God, these are my people. And it gave me hope to carry on. I thought, okay, well, maybe I can be a pastor, and I can be a pastor who helps people in recovery. And uh, so I got ordained and went off to uh, serve a church in rural Nebraska, and uh, I thought I would use my recovery stuff to, to help serve me as a pastor. But, you know, the church really wasn't interested, and the people mm-hmm. in church don't really want to talk about this. It's not a comfortable topic. And so I just decided, well, I'll just keep them separate. And so... I did church over here, and over here I did my 12-step stuff. I got involved with this group of pastors, and we formed a group called the Fellowship of Recovering Lutheran Clergy. And our mission was to help advocating for pastors and helping pastors who found themselves addicted uh, to stay in the ministry and to get well and to provide, you know, to be treated as though somebody, as though they had a health problem and not a moral issue. Um, and so we've we've come a long way there. But even then, the church has not been really open to this. Uh, and we've hard, 30 years we've been in existence and we've had a hard time getting any recognition from the from the official church. Um, so that's been discouraging. So about four years ago, um, I attended a conference at the University of Minnesota. All the state leaders were there and they were addressing the opioid problem. And they were saying, you know, opioids gotten out of control, people are dying, and we need to fix this problem. And Amy Klobuchar got up and said, um, I mean, all the state leaders were there. Amy Klobuchar got up and said, we're doing everything we can within our power to solve this problem. But whatever we're doing is making it worse because what they could control were the laws and accessibility. And they were making it harder to get opioids through uh, legal channels. And so those people that were addicted couldn't get their opioids anymore, going to the street to get street heroin and and those other things that are laced with fentanyl. And the death rate was actually going up. And so Amy Klobuchar said, uh, we need everyone to realize this is everybody's problem and this affects everyone. And I'd always believed that, but I thought, oh, gosh, you know, the church is so well positioned to help to do something. 
there's a church, synagogue, there's a mosque on every corner of every city in, in the country. And I thought, what if the church were to step up a little bit, you know, take this on a little bit? There's so many people out there struggling who look to the church for help and don't find any. And there's so many that are in recovery who look to the church for nourishment and don't get it. What if we were to make this a part of the church and uh, a piece of what we do? And um, so we decided to put on a little conference and we said, let's educate our colleagues. Uh, those of us who were clergy in recovery were all frustrated because we felt like our seminaries, all of them, uh, send out spiritual leaders with no basic core competency in, in addiction. They didn't, we don't learn about it at seminary. And we're just baffled, but how can you understand the human condition and how can you minister to people when you don't even understand how addiction works? Because it's in everybody to some degree. And it seems like it ought to be a core competency of a spiritual leader. And so we said, let's teach our colleagues about this. So we brought together the smartest people we knew on the topic and had a little conference in Bloomington. We thought we might get 40 or 50, you know, clergy, spiritual leaders to come. Uh, we ended up having to cut off registration at 200. And they wow. came from 32 states and 17 different denominations. So we were like, right? wow, this is great. 2018 was our first one. We did it again in 2019. And then we couldn't last year, but then we just finished our third conference and they've all been amazing. Um, and the, uh, the comments we've gotten, but, but what really excites me are the, what happens to pastors when they start learning about this, they also see, you know, light bulbs go off and they start to see it in themselves and it changes how they view the world, how they view God. It's really transformative stuff. And, uh, we had one, one CPE teacher brought nine of her students to our conference and made them go to 12 step meetings. And they all came back saying, she wrote me a lovely note saying, and she listed off all their lives that had been changed. It was one woman who, who uh, realized that this was, you know, what she was dealing with. And she went back and joined Overeaters Anonymous, uh, came back to our next conference and gave a testimony about how she lost 85 pounds and had a whole new relationship with God. And, and she was a, pastor with a doctorate degree and she said i've never heard about any of this and this has been life-changing for me so yeah so that's yeah. yeah yeah so that's kind of how we got where we are today that's that is an amazing story and yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that it, it brings up so many questions i'm trying to organize my thoughts enough to <laughs> to uh, figure out which one to ask first or which comment to make i guess maybe the first one is why do you think it is that um there, there is so little understanding and so much ignorance and so little focus in our congregations, in our seminaries, uh, uh, among clergy of, of all denominations, as far as I know, mm -hmm. uh, regarding this, when it is so common, uh, it's in every one of our congregations, it's in every one of us to some degree, uh, is it is it our fear of it or what, what do you think is the, the reason yeah. that we fail in ministry in this area? So, so yeah. badly. Well, I have, a th I have theories. I don't know. If, I don't know the answer to that. I'm mystified sure, by sure. it. Just as most of us are, you know, I think there's yeah. something about the nature of addiction uh, that, the, well, you know, they say the first symptom of addiction is denial. And so yeah, it is right. sort of built in, it's sort of baked in. And so, uh, anyone struggling with addiction is going to deny it. And, and I don't mean know that they have it and say they don't. It's they don't even know yeah. they have it. And yeah, so we're exactly. dealing with a problem that people don't know they have. 
And, uh, and I think it also intimidates people. I think it's scary. I think, uh, I think there's um, stigma associated with it so that when people, the minute you say addiction, people are thinking drug addicts. And they're not thinking right. about workaholism and they're not thinking about food addiction and they're not thinking about consumerism and all the other addictions that, that make our lives uh, worse, not better. You know, when my, yeah. my tradition, and I'm sure most mainline, is we start our worship with uh, we confess we're in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. And to me, that's exactly. a statement to God saying, God, I'm doing things that are hurtful to me and others, and I can't seem to stop doing it without your help. I mean, that's the first step of AA right there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. admitting powerlessness. But um, uh, in my tradition, uh, there's there's concern over this topic because uh, it requires uh, it, it requires some action and Lutherans don't want to hear about works. They you know they're so they're so grounded in grace, which is great. I'm proud of that. That's exciting. But they don't have language sure. for um, for um, you know what to do with, with, with addiction. And so the minute you, the minute you start saying you work a program and you work the steps, it's like, Oh, that's works righteousness. And it's like, well, no, no, you're not trying to earn your salvation. That's done. We're talking about how to earn your, get your health and healing. And, you know, anyway, so I, I think there's right. some theological right. hurdles, but if you look at scripture, you can see that it's also baked in there because when Adam and Eve do the thing they're not supposed to do, when we do the things we're not supposed to do, we feel guilty, right? And our first reaction, we're ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. And so we want to hide it. We want to cover it up. And so it's our natural right. tendency to want to hide from addiction. You know, we want to hide from the things we're doing wrong, from ourselves, from others, and from God, uh, because we're ashamed. And so there's a lot of shame around it. In all too, far too many of our uh, faith communities, congregations, uh, we uh, have this sense of... Uh, uh, having to put the best face uh, on ourselves, the best foot forward, and not reveal or be vulnerable about that, uh, uh, the, our imperfections. And so we, we come to church and we, we dress up well and we look our best and try to keep our kids acting well. Uh, when we also understand, you know, we, we admit sin, but we, we don't really show that we are sinners. What you said also resonated with me. I, for a number of years, I was an associate minister in a large congregation, and one of my primary responsibilities was pastoral care and counseling. And I, one particular situation where a woman in the congregation came to me and said, you know, she thought she had a drinking problem and and we got her connected with uh, AA, and at her uh, six-month and 12-month uh, uh, sobriety recognition, where she got her chip, she invited me to come to that. That sense of vulnerability and openness uh, is what I've always thought our congregation should be like, that sense yeah. of yeah. hi, this is me, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a sinner, and... Uh, uh, you know, that, that sense of uh, everybody welcoming and accepting yeah. folks as they are and for whom they are is, is what congregations ought to be. So I, I, I really understand to some extent anyway what you're saying about coming from the 12-step program into a congregation where you're not feeling that welcome. Yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you anecdotally uh, something that happened to me that I think is, is something we can learn from, but... Um, 
you know, in the church, for some reason, we, we, we put our best selves forward, not our worst selves. And in AA, they lead with their brokenness, which is um, more powerful, I, I think. But anyway, when I took my first call as a pastor, I was in rural Nebraska, and uh, I had put in my paperwork that I was with the FRLC and a, and a member of AA. And so uh, I looked great on paper, except for those two items. I think they were really worried about that. And, you know, what does this mean? And so the chair of the call committee pulled me aside before going into the meeting and said, how do you, he whispered, like, how do you want me to address this? And I said, well, just ask me to talk about myself. So he introduced me immediately and I began to tell my story. And I told him the story that I just told you guys. And um, I got done sharing and uh, he said, oh, we didn't introduce ourselves. Let's go around and say who we are. And each person began to divulge their what the stuff they've gone through in life. They're talking about divorces or cancer and everybody began to tell their broken stories and it would turn into a little 12 step meeting. It was really amazing. And we got done. The president, yeah. the president yeah. of the council said, what just happened here? <laughs> this was amazing. He said, I didn't know this about you guys. <laughs> people had grown up with this whole life. He didn't know about their struggles. I think that's the gift recovering people could bring to the church. If we could get them up from the basement and yeah. have them in our congregations, Everywhere I go where I get to talk in a church after I preach or share in a church, I have at least five people whisper to me that they're in recovery. Um, and I say, well, have you told anyone uh, in the church? And they say, no, they right. don't. They keep it They keep it secret. Oh, yeah. And these stories are God stories. They're yeah. stories of, of redemption. I mean, they're, you know, we celebrate this ancient yeah. story of redemption, but we've got stories of redemption happening all around us. They should be celebrated openly in it. It, it opens the door to all kinds yeah. of wonderful stuff. Julie has asked a question. Do you encounter people in your church battling addiction who still think they are sinful and do not understand that they have a disease? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I still think our whole culture thinks of it as as a, uh, you know, people making bad choices instead of good people um, dealing with pain, which is really what it is. It's good people dealing with pain. The problem is, is that, when you deal with pain with an addiction, it gets progressively worse. You do more bad things, and uh, it, it leads to bad, sinful behavior, right? And so it starts to accumulate, and pretty soon it, it, it feels like you're a sinner. It doesn't feel like you have a disease. It feels like you're just a really bad person who who can't get it right. I mean, I know me, I woke up every time. Every time I woke up with a hangover remembering what I did the night before, I would I would berate myself. So it's hard to see that as a disease. It feels like it should be a choice, but it's, you know, science now is pretty, pretty clear that um, the brain gets rewired and, and, and hijacked by addiction. I always say I was living a life that I didn't even personally approve of and I couldn't stop. I knew the life I was living was not what God wanted. It wasn't even what I wanted. I couldn't help myself. I, I would swear up and down. I would never, I would stop and I wouldn't do it again. And then I would wake up another morning and go, oh my God. What's wrong with you? And then I, uh, my conversation with God is like, God, when? When are you going to save me? Because I knew it was going to take an act of God to straighten me out. How, how do we as pastors invite people to see themselves and see the people around us who um, struggle with addiction as people with a disease rather than yeah. uh, just weak people who don't have any self-control yeah. and, and are yeah. sinners? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And it is... Part of, uh, part of my journey was that um, I fought this to the very end. I, I really, even to the very end, until the day I went into treatment, I didn't think I had this particular problem. I thought I had a, I thought I had a problem, but it wasn't drugs and alcohol. 
And I thought I used drugs and alcohol too much, but it was because of whatever else was going on with me that was, you know, I, I mm-hmm. just felt like if I could fix whatever's wrong with me, I would drink and use normally, right? Like normal people do, because I didn't want it to be that problem. Um, and then I went into treatment and I was, for, I was at forced, I was expected to read the big book. And I sat through in those days, it was 30 years ago, but it was uh, 35 years ago. But it was uh, Father Martin was an alcoholic priest who did a lot of things. He did this program called Chalk Talks. He talked about alcoholism. He talked about his own. Um, and he still those talk, Chalk Talks are still really good. If you ever go on YouTube, you can look them up. And he's still, what he has to say is still very powerful. But the light bulbs went on. And, and that's what happens with education and awareness is you go, oh, my gosh, this, is, this explains it. And the problem we have in our society and our culture today is nobody is getting that education until they land in treatment. And then if and if they can get their family to come to family day, they might get an hour or two of education around it. But we don't we don't have an understanding of addiction until it's at the back end. They are showing that if we can educate people at the front end, we can lower this the instance of addiction by a huge number. It's one of the most effective things we can do is the preventative piece. And that's where churches, faith communities can be so effective because we have access to youth and families. Um now, the question for me, it was like, well, I can be a pastor in the church and I can help addicts. Well, it turns out addicts typically don't go to church <laughs> and they don't go looking for the pastor. Uh, they don't ask, you know, they don't want the pastor to know. Right. But but the people that are in church are the people who love addicts. Uh, and we call them codependents right. because they are co-addicted to that. Uh, that they, they get into a dance that they get sucked into. And after they do it for so long, they become really dysfunctional and confused and emotionally kind of tied up in this person who's addicted and uh, mm-hmm. they lose their bearings and uh, they need help as much as the, the addict does. But, but my belief is, is that the church is filled with codependence. And if we could educate them, we could have a stand a chance against the addict. It was my mom who was hmm. my codependent for many years. She went and got an education and she began to confront me. And if she hadn't done that, I would probably not be here. That just prompts uh, uh, another question that I, I just uh, received from Leanne, who, who asks, as pastors, if we suspect substance abuse, how can we talk about our concerns with people or their families? So so that, that leads right from what you just said, either talking with the codependents or talking with uh, yeah. the the addict, how how yeah. can we talk about that? How do we approach yeah. that? Yeah, in fact, it, that's really the thing that, that needs to be learned by spiritual leaders because um, we need to know the language to use in these instances, and we don't. And, uh, and uh, the challenge is, is how to confront in a loving way. And, and uh, the thing my mother did with me and the thing I do as a pastor, I, I say, how is your drinking? Do you drink much? And that question alone is, you know, sometimes all you need. It's not going to save them, but it's going to, it's, it forces them to wrestle with it. Um, it, it is a mini intervention, just asking that question. Mm-hmm. That's what my mom did to me every time she saw me. She said, how's your drinking? Are you, you know, are you, are you drinking a lot? And I would just get so mad at her. And you, usually you mm-hmm. can tell if you've hit a button, if they react that way. I would just go, mom, you always <laughs> think it's that. It's not that. I, I said, you know, you and my brother, my brother had gone to treatment and told my mom that we all have this problem. And so I thought, you guys are just, you know, that's all you, you know, you think everything's that, you know. And, and then the next time I see her, she'd go, how's your drinking? Are you drinking a lot? And I would go, ah, you know, and I would avoid her. But anyway, 
people will, if you ask them those questions and they have that problem, they will begin to avoid you. But you will start a wrestling match in their hearts and their minds. Um, and what they've learned is, is that so, most people that finally do get help, it's a cumulative effect of important people in their lives asking to doing those interventions. You know, they add up. Mm. You know, it could be a mm-hmm. cop, it could be a teacher, it could be a pastor. Uh, but anytime somebody significant in your life can ask you about something they suspect is going on in your life, it's got weight. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I think we're mostly afraid to ask that question, but it can be done in a very loving way. Just to say, yeah. uh, are you drinking a lot? Is is are you is that an issue for you? And uh, you're not accusing; you're just asking. But congregations, we you wouldn't believe the resources that are out there. I started doing this full time about a year and a half ago. I left my parish just to do this, start the Center of Addiction and Faith, and uh, and so I've been going to a lot of uh, trade shows and a lot of ex- exhibits and conferences and. I'm stunned. I, I'm involved in this deeply, and I didn't know there were this many resources. There are so many mental mm. health and addiction resources right in our neighborhoods, and uh, uh, it's really striking. Um, th- those people will all come to your congregation, or they will meet on a Zoom meeting, and they will educate anybody who asks them to, and they'll do it free of charge. We have a ton of resources out there that faith communities can take advantage of. Can you give a, a few examples of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say... Um, uh, Sunday's adult forum is codependency. I, I, I call Traverse Counseling and I say, do you have somebody that could come and talk to my church about codependency? And they'll say, absolutely. Or I call uh, one of the t- uh, treatment centers that spe- specialize in teens and youth. I'll say, hey, can you do an adult forum or a Zoom meeting on, on uh, what we, what parents should look for in and how to react to children who they suspect are using? Or how do I teach my kids to confront their friends that they know have a problem? Um, there are some incredible expertise mm-hmm. out there and they're all willing to share it for mm-hmm. free. And they've all been a little bit frustrated trying to get through to faith communities because they haven't, that mm-hmm. hasn't been a, a place where they've been able to get any traction. We, we continue to try to be more inclusive and we talk a, a great deal about inclusivity in many different ways, but this is a, this is an area that's been around forever and uh, we still struggle with the, uh, a sense of welcome. I was struck by the the comment that you made uh, a little while ago when you went to a congregation and then when you went to a seminary and you said, these are not my people. Then went to a 12-step program and said, these are my people. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we all on a theoretical basis want anybody to come into our congregation and walk away saying, these are my people. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the Center of Addiction and Faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had emailed me uh, the app that uh, mm-hmm. you have uh, really very impressive, the number of features and resources yeah. that are there. Ta- talk a little bit of, about the center yeah. and uh, this app that, that folks yeah. can download that will yeah. uh, give them access to a lot of resources and information. So um, a little bit about how the, the center came about was after our second conference, we, we did the second one to see if the first one was a fluke or not. And when we got even bigger results the second time around, the, the folks around me who were helping me with everything uh, said, you need to do this. You know, this needs to be your calling. So um, I made the decision that I would leave the parish and, and strike out. And so we formed a 501c3. And we said, okay, so we have the annual conference. What else can we be? And we said, well, let's just be a resource to the church 
There's a million resources out here that churches don't know about. Let's just be a place where people can come and find them all uh, to be a center in that, in that regard, a clearinghouse type of place. So I made the decision to leave my church. Uh, I had a, a son in college. I was leaving a full-time pay of, and benefits for, mm. for you know, trust. And I'm still trusting and waiting, um, by the way. And so if anybody has a million bucks, I'd <laughs> love to have a talk with you. But um, so I uh, started out doing this work and I had arranged to, to go out and speak. I had about three different uh, speaking engagements throughout the country because of the conferences. I had made some great contacts. So I was going to go out and talk to people. And then COVID hit. And I was stuck at home. And I thought, what have I done to myself? My gosh. Or God, what have you done to me? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, if so, I said, well, you know, I'll build a website. So I started putting together the website. And that was a huge en- endeavor. Uh, the work on that website is the equivalent of writing a book. I mean, it's, it's 90,000 words. Um, but I wanted it to be, if that was going to be my ministry, it was going to have to be robust. It was going to have to be worth, you know, people's time and energy. So the COVID forced me to stay home and do that. I would never have done it that well if I hadn't been forced to. And then uh, what we realized was um, COVID forced everybody to ha- learn how to do Zoom and, and to do what we're doing here. And we realized, wow, we can actually do more this way than we could the other way. And so we started doing webinars and podcasts and 12-step groups and uh, and uh, devotions. And anyway, we just started building resources. And I put, I put them all on the website and then I thought, you know, these are great resources, but they're, they're buried in this website. So I said, we need a way for people to get to these resources more easily. So I, I developed the app. There's the webinars are on there. The podcasts are great. If you're driving and you have, you know, a half an hour, hour drive, you can just sit and listen to these stories. We have devotions on there. We have some uh, worship resources. If you're looking for ideas on how to preach on addiction or, or to children's sermons and that sort of thing. Um, we have links to some of our 12-step meetings. The great thing about our 12-step meetings, which was a surprise to me, was um, there's a Sunday night meeting that is um, mostly uh, clergy, but faith leaders mostly, you know, not all clergy, but it's a mix. It's also a mix of different recovery. Uh, we have people there struggling with uh, eating this eating addiction, people struggling with codependency, people struggling with um, addiction, uh, drugs, alcohol. So it's all 12 steps. So regardless of what particular addiction you're dealing with, you're welcome at these meetings. And uh, people are coming from all over the country and uh, from many different denominations. And so it's really this melting pot of people. But the lovely thing about these meetings is that these people speak um, 12-step recovery language, but they also speak church language. And I've never experienced that in my recovery. And it's been such a gift to me. I, I never enjoyed going to meetings so much because if you go to a 12-step and you really can't talk about your church or your Christian faith, it's kind of taboo. And and there's good reasons for that. And I never want to change that. But it is nice to be with a bunch of people who are in recovery, who know how, who can refer to Lent or, or a piece of scripture and everybody knows what you're talking about. And you don't have to, you know, you don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to explain it. So, so there's a Wednesday, Sunday night meeting, and then there's an Episcopalian uh, recovery ministries of the Episcopal church that host one on, Wednesday night, that is fantastic. And then we have a Thursday noon meeting just for clergy. I got in recovery and then became a pastor. But these pastors who get in recovery while being pastors, I admire tremendously because what a hard environment to get well in, to, you know, to, to learn, to begin the process of, 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 you know, spiritual rebirth, but also just learning boundaries and coming to terms with your demons and your baggage. 
And you're doing that in a uh, an environment that can be really challenging. I mean, people do test your boundaries constantly, and and they they project onto pastors constantly. And so you're trying to get well in that environment. Um, anyway, so pastors that get well in that environment, they have, and they can't go to the meeting down the street and talk about any of this. You know what it's like to be a pastor in recovery. And so this meeting on Thursday noon is open to all clergy, deacons, seminarians. Um, but it is uh, really a special meeting. That's my that's my home group, and and that's uh, but that's been a, being attended by people from uh, U.S. and Canada, and from many different denominations. Especially now, having come through COVID, pastors are hurting. You know, this uh, this this yeah. COVID experience is really hurting churches. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, churches are going through some really really uncertain times, and so these poor right. pastors are really afraid. You know, they're, they don't, you know, and they're afraid they're and tired, they're, uh, Very they're tired. tired and they're incredibly tired and the expectations. And, and in the last four years, uh, civility has gone out the window. People aren't nice to pastors anymore. They say, you know, they're, they can be really mean and it's really, it's really sad. And so those meetings are, are uh, listed on the uh, app, uh, yes. which can be found in, in the App Store yep. uh, Center of Addiction and Faith. And yep. uh, awesome. I was very impressed. Thanks for letting, letting me know yeah. about that. I wanted to talk about the question you asked me about. The, you asked about these are my people, these are not my people. I, I think the church is, is meant for, for everyone, right? And so why that divide? Why is the church not a comfortable place for broken people? And um, I think there's a clue to that in the story of the prodigal son. I was at seminary and uh, we were in a class called, it was Christian education. And the class, the teacher was teaching us how to teach the, the, the parables. And he was teaching the parable of the prodigal son. And I thought, oh, that's my parable. I love that parable. That's my story, right? God welcoming me mm-hmm. back and, and giving me all these mm-hmm. gifts that I don't deserve. And, uh, and and then the teacher said, but, you know, the story really isn't about the prodigal son. And I was like, what? What are you talking? He says, no, Jesus was confronting the leaders of the day, and he was holding up a mirror to them and saying, you're like the older brother. It's more about the older brother than the son. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I said to the teacher, I said, I wonder how many people relate to the to the older brother and to the younger son. I was the only one in that class that related to the prodigal son. The rest of them related and understood the, the, the mind the older mm. brother. And I thought, that's why the church doesn't feel home for mm. me. It's, it's led by the older brother. And if the older brother is leading the church, who's he going to draw into the church? It's, it's the people that are doing it right and following the rules and being faithful, the unbroken. And they're going to have a hard time welcoming in the broken. Um, they'll say it, but they won't mean it. <laughs> and I thought, that's why I don't feel like I fit there, because I really don't. Let's say that a pastor, a congregational leader, wants to help their church become more effective in ministry to and with those struggling with addiction. And by that, I mean both the addicts and the codependent. What would you recommend as the first one or two things that they might do? Well, uh, the best thing I know to do um, is uh, there's a member of my board called, whose name is Drew Brooks. And he leads a nonprofit called Faith Partners. And they have for the last 20 years been working in this arena. And that what the work that they do is to form um, uh, ministries for faith communities to address addiction. And so what they do is they have training events. And uh, we, we hosted uh, one last year, and we have another one coming up November 13th here. 
that'll be a hybrid event. So if you're not near the Twin Cities, uh, you can come virtually. And so how, how that structured is, is it's a year-long process. And what Drew does is, is uh, ask the congregation, to, you need to have a, a pastor at least being supportive. And so if you can get a pastor to come to the first training session, that's kind of essential. But the pastor comes with one or two at least or more uh, people who will take the reins on the ministry. You know, they'll take the leadership. And so they come to this first event and uh, they learn about the ministry. They learn how it works. They learn why we should be doing this. And, and uh, they get some examples of best practices and, and just learn all the potential options for doing this kind of ministry. And then they're sent back to their congregation with, with a couple of assignments. And one is an assessment tool they get, they're given. Uh, it's a survey of the congregation, and it helps the uh, leaders learn where the congregation is in terms of their understanding of addiction, their opinions about it, um, you know, learn about some you know, stigma that might be, you know, you know, what do they know and what do they not know? And what would be the most effective place to start? So that's an assessment to find out where, where a ministry would be most effective. What happens is people that understand addiction or either, you know, have suffered through it or have been close to it are the ones who jump on this. They, you know, they, they hear about it and say, oh, I want to be a part of that. And so it's not hard to find people that'll lead it. Mm-hmm. So you bring them to this training, they go back, mm-hmm. they do that assessment, but they're also invited to find the other folks in the congregation who might be interested in being on the team. And so they recruit a team and they come back three months later or two months later for the team training. And that's a two-day uh, on-site or virtual event where they they write a mission statement um, and they come up with all the things, the steps that they're going to take. Uh, they're given a lot of resources, but so they're trained in to do this ministry um, and and plant a ministry and sustain it over time so that it gets going. They could just Google Faith Partners uh, yep. and, and find that. Yes, they can. Yep. Okay. Another audience member, member uh, Marty, says that it's Faith Dash partners.org. That is correct. So, uh, Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Marty, for that. She yeah. also said she just downloaded the app and says there are a ton of resources that she's going to share with her congregation. Oh, that's so great. So uh, I love that's that. That's great, too. We just posted the podcast of, of my uh, interview with Bishop, uh, with a bishop of our church who got elected to be bishop. And a month after he was there, his staff did an intervention and said, you need treatment. So he went into treatment as a bishop. And uh, has an amazing story. Yeah, it's a great story. If you're a help, if you're someone who helps other people, there is a help finder tool on that app where you can dial into exactly the help you're looking for. It could be a mental health issue, it could be eating disorder, it could be bulimia, or, uh, it could be addiction. It will it will find the resources in your community uh, and dial you into the one that would best fit you. Um, and it's offered through Psychology Today, but it links to our app. So if you're working with someone and you're thinking of where to, where to get them help, you've got that right in your app. It's really pretty slick. Uh, Ed, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us. And I do feel like we've just scratched the surface. Uh, and so I hope we'll be able to schedule another time to get together and talk some more. Uh, I have a feeling that this will be uh, incredibly helpful for many pastors. Okay, and I uh, uh, just want to say thanks to you. I, I just got a note from Marty again saying thanks to Ed for sharing your story and sharing yes. your work with the church. So uh, uh, I echo that and uh, uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. As I look back over my 40 years of pastoral ministry, I think of all the families broken by addiction. And though I offered my care in many instances, I didn't know how to make our 
congregation into a place of inclusion and care. Broke my heart when Ed said that the Christians around him in church and seminary felt like they were not his people. We need to become as welcoming and inclusive in this realm of struggle as we are working to be in so many other areas. And I hope this conversation will help you to begin to move in that direction. Next time, we will talk with Dr. Stan Ott, well-known author and president of Leading Moments, whose mission is to develop vital leaders for the church and the world. He and his colleague, Lee Zemer, will join me to talk about the importance of encouragement and the challenges of vital leadership in these difficult times. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Thanks again for joining us and thank you for your leadership of Christ's body. And again, if you have any feedback to offer or would like to be in the audience for our recordings, email me at pastorsforpastors2020 at gmail.com. That's pastors, the number four, pastors2020 at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Ken Broman, folks, and this is Pastors for Pastors. Thank you.